So, good afternoon everyone. My name is Lucas Mistelis. I'm the director of the School of Arbitration here at Queen Mary and also the chair of the academic committee of the CMC. Four years ago, we thought that as an academic committee we should run a number of uh, seminars, three a year, one in September, one in, can be sometime later, <laughs> as in this year, for example, it, oh, the initial date blocked was, uh, by other events. One in January, sometimes can be in February, typically one in April. We always keep the April dates. Um, and one of the formats we have introduced in the last two years is to have one debate. So we have one of these debates today on a critical topic of whether it's time to regulate. Um, we have two um, uh, uh, very eminent uh, persons to represent the views. Um, may, they may not fall in the classical Oxford debate style all the time, but I, I think the arguments will be very sharp and, and we will all be sort of um, looking forward to listening to the ideas. And the session will be um, chaired by Paul Randall. I will make very brief introductions because I'm also um, uh, interested in listening to what they have to say rather than what I'm saying about that. Um, uh, Alan Langleben has been a solicitor qualified more than 40 years ago and now has a, a 12 years uh, mediation experience. He will be um, looking at, the, at what is time to regulate and representing that, that motion. Amanda Bucklow, a very experienced mediator and trainer, having worked with a number of organizations and also in business, um, will be taking the opposite view. Uh, Paul will try to ensure uh, mediator, barrister and uh, also looking at the psychological aspects of mediation, will try to make sure that they don't kill each other in the process. So, um, <laughs> Paul. Thank you. Well, welcome again everybody. Uh, let me explain my role. I'm here not as a judge, not as an arbitrator. <laughs> I'm entirely neutral. Um, let me explain the ground rules. Um, we're going to have um, a preliminary vote in a moment, just to see what the state of play is before you've had the persuasive arguments of both these uh, eminent speakers. Then we're going to have uh, opening statements from each uh, side of 15 minutes. We're then going to allow them to have a head-to-head -head debate uh, for about 30 minutes and then we'll open the debate to the floor. And uh, after half an hour um, of heated argument, we will uh, close, have closing remarks, five minutes each from each, each side, and uh, we will then have another vote. So, um, can we please have a show of hands? Firstly. The motion is, this House believes it's time to regulate. All those in favour of the motion. Twenty-four, excluding the speaker. <laughs> Disenfranchised. Twenty-five. Uh, all those against the motion. Six. So Twenty-four against six. Wow. Right. Well, um, I'm going to ask uh, Alan Langleben to uh, propose the motion. 
this house believes no, it's time no. to regulate. There, there are some people. Sorry? Abstentions. Sorry, quite right. Any abstentions? Right. Good. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten. Thank you for reminding me um, about that. Right. All yours. <laughs> Good afternoon, um, Mr. Chairman, ladies and gentlemen. I was asked to speak in favour of this motion, uh, and I realised at the time, or at least I thought at the time, that this would be quite an uphill struggle. Indeed, when I mentioned it to one of my colleagues, he said, you mean you're going there to persuade turkeys to vote for Christmas? But having seen the vote, uh, I'm, I'm very pleasantly surprised. So I'm delighted, and what I'm going to try and do is convert those of you who abstained to voting for, and perhaps those of you who voted against to abstain. But my, I realize my task is not as easy as that, because I'm being opposed by Amanda. Amanda is, is a far more eminent and experienced mediator than I could ever be. Um, I aspire to do maybe a dozen mediations a year. I think she could probably do a dozen in a, in a day. She's extremely experienced, extremely capable, and has been doing it for a very long time. And maybe that is the difference between us. Because it may be, and I'll come to this later, that there is a difference of view between the sort of mediator like me, who does a number, but would quite like to do more, and the sort of mediator who, like our learned chairman and my opponent, have got more than enough mediations to keep them very, very happy. And that may be the distinction between us. But I have three principal arguments that I hope to adopt to persuade you. And they are, one, professionalism, that is to say, if we are a profession, we need to be regulated. Two, promotion, and that is to say that with a united body, we can promote the concept of mediation more effectively than we are at the moment. And thirdly, postponing the inevitable i.e. one day there's going to be regulation and perhaps we should seize the opportunity to do it now. But let me deal with my first topic, which is actually my, the main thrust of my argument, and that is professionalism. Now those of you who recently were at the National Theatre and saw The Doctor's Dilemma may recall this line from that play by George Bernard Shaw, in the case of obviously the medical profession, all professions are conspiracies against the laity. Well, actually, I want to say that for us, that is absolutely not the case. That we are as open and as frank and as user-friendly a profession as it is possible to be. And I want to expand a little on that. But because I know I'm totally outgunned by Amanda, I'm going to call on Inaid and one or two other people, and I'm going to quote from them. Those of you who read The Times will recollect, I'm sure, a letter of Monday the 24th of September 2012 see a lot of nods in the room. Um, this was a letter from Mark Spofforth, who is the current president of the Institute of Chartered Accountants. And he wrote, quoting one of his predecessors, and I'm just going to read you a couple of extracts from his letter. Sir, when Lord Benson, the former president of the Institute of Chartered Accountants, set out the defining criteria for being considered a profession 20 years ago, he stipulated that there must be a governing body empowered to establish rules and standards designed for public benefit 
rather than private advantage, <coughs> and to set those standards higher than those required by law. He also stipulated that training and education must continue throughout a member's professional life. Professional bodies do not merely act as guardians of probity, but also as examples of best practice. By committing to the highest professional and ethical standards, bodies can ensure not only that members act in accordance with those principles, but that the public trust is maintained. In time, this can become a virtuous circle. The public have confidence in the membership, and professionals seek to join to demonstrate that they are worthy of that trust. Now that seems to me to be a very neat encapsulation of the advantage of having some kind of regulation, however light, which would govern our body of mediators. At the moment it's completely at random. There's no one body that speaks for all of us. There are no standards. Anyone can set up and call themselves a mediator. And I think that doesn't give enough confidence to the public at large. I also trailed a little bit around the world through, through uh, a website for mediators, and I picked up a bit of information from certain other jurisdictions. For instance, in Australia, there was a National Mediator Accreditation System report. And I'll just quote you a tiny bit from that. It says, we must develop minimum standards of education, training and experience to satisfy the requirements for accreditation. Core concepts of consistency, quality and public protection are central to the development of standards. Then it went on to say, and I'm not sure whether you'll agree with this, in mediation, much more than in any other dispute resolution process, the quality of the process depends heavily on the quality of the practitioner. I'll see if you, if you nod there. That's an interesting concept, because there, there is a contrary view which, which is perfectly respectable in my view. In Nigeria, you'll be interested to know, that the body with the responsibility for regulation and certification is the Institute of Chartered Mediators and Conciliators, the ICMC, which is backed by an Act of Parliament. Another mediator emailed to say that certification <coughs> formalises accountability while leaving scope for professional judgement, case by case. Certification considers the point of view of the potential consumer, who would otherwise have to develop their own assessment <coughs> against criteria. Certification, she says, makes explicit that which otherwise can be veiled in mystery. And if you remember the George Bernard Shaw quote, we really don't want to fall into that trap. In California, the state doesn't monitor certification, but the courts do. And it was felt important by one correspondent there who said it is important that there should be certification because mediators are looked down upon by lawyers for not having the certification, legitimacy, credibility that lawyers have. The second main point I have relates to promotion of the profession. Now, leaving aside the eminent mediators who are on this table with me, I would hazard a guess that many of us here would reflect the same kind of 
conversation that I was having yesterday at a mediation conference. You meet a new chap, woman, who's a mediator, and the conversation usually goes like this. Oh, you're a mediator, yes. How many do you do a year? Not enough. Does that sound familiar? I suspect that for most mediators who are not in the top 30, 40, 50 maybe, but those are people like me who are doing a dozen, two dozen a year, we would like to see far more mediation. We would like to see more understanding. We would like more education. I'm still being surprised now, after all these years, to meet intelligent professionals. And when I tell them that I'm a mediator, they say things like, what if they don't agree with your decision? Or you know, <laughs> other, showing that they completely do not understand what mediation is about. We must get this message across. And the best way of doing it, in my view, is to use the combined power of the entire body of mediators in a professional organisation with a professional spokesperson. And my final point is postponing the inevitable. It seems to me that whether Turkeys vote for it or not, Christmas does come on the 25th of December each year. And there is a very strong undercurrent of feeling that one day government will want to impose some kind of regulation on us. Government is encouraging and promoting mediation at the moment, not only for its own ministries and organisations, but generally. And there will come a time when there will be a little bit of a backswell, where perhaps one or two mediators have not been quite as good as they should be, and people will start to resist it and say, oh, you know, it's not really a good process. And then they'll start to say, ah, well, we need to regulate. And isn't it better, and this is a rhetorical question, isn't it better for us to regulate ourselves rather than have some outside body doing it? Let me just give you a tiny example of that. I'm a solicitor as well as a mediator, and for many, many years I acted as a complaints partner in, in two different firms that I was in. And in the old days, this is going back about 20-odd years, there was a, something called the Solicitor's Complaints Department or something, which was part of the Law Society, the legal, anyway. And any complaint was referred to someone to deal with, someone who had been, or indeed still was, a solicitor. Now I vividly remember a case which dealt with a probate, something I know nothing about. The client complained, it went through the process, and at an early stage, the guy who was dealing with it rang me up and said, yeah, I just want to tell you that um, before I started doing this job, I was a partner in the firm, and I spent 20 years doing probate. And I thought, that's good, I hope. Uh, but it was, because he said, well, look, I've read through the file. It, you, what your colleagues did was absolutely normal and perfectly okay. There's no grounds for a complaint. Now, move forward to today, where you've got outside agencies doing it. You've got the legal services, the legal ombudsman, they start, it seems to me, from the premise the customer is right and the lawyer is wrong, and you've got to disprove that. Now that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but there is, because they deliberately do not employ people who were or are solicitors to look into solicitors' complaints, you do have an initial credibility problem. Now I would like to feel that if there were a complaint against a mediator, that the body, the regulatory body, would be able to call upon senior mediators who would be able to look at it, come at it from a great wealth 
of knowledge and understanding and experience and say yes or no, just as the guy did in my probate case. So I'm going to conclude, even if I haven't used the whole of the 15 minutes, by saying that I do believe that this is the time to mediate, to, to regulate the mediation industry or uh, profession. Um, someone else agrees with me, uh, someone from Renata Valery emailed me to say, I feel unless we seek to create standards of certification ourselves, those standards will be forced upon us. So for those reasons, I would urge you to support the motion. Thank you. I call upon Amanda to oppose the motion. Well, um, thank you very much, Alan. That was um, a, a terrific uh, introduction and certainly uh, a very comprehensive setting of the scene. Um, I think I come to this with um, really quite a, a lot of experience of regulation. I started life as a zinc trader and um, uh, the financial services regulation, monopolies and mergers commission, foreign currency regulations, antitrust, etc, etc. It was a world in which I, I literally grew up with regulation and in those days it was actually quite tolerable. Um, sometime later when I became a mediator I also worked very closely with the, in the rail industry and it was during my time working with the rail industry about 1999 that I started thinking about regulation for mediators so I'm kind of being down a rabbit hole thinking about this quite a lot over quite a number of years and um, in 2003 it was the regulatory aspect of mediation that prompted me to put three years into doing a research project, which was the skills, strengths, attributes and behaviours of effective mediators. And that was a very balanced uh, research project which focused <coughs> on also on the question of regulation. And I was very surprised to see from the research results that of the 30 or so users of mediation, habitual users of mediation, none of them wanted regulation, and uh, but that uh, quite a few said they thought it would happen anyway. There was a sort of kind of... Right. So, it's revisiting this, and I was actually, you know, quite... Um, I sort of felt a little bit that we were sort of going round again, so I've tried to bring something perhaps that hasn't been said before. That's the purpose of what I'd like to do, to persuade you to come at it a, a little way. Because I will reveal to you that I am actually a bit bored with the mediation discussion around certification and standards and homogeneity and people need to be assured of that they're going to get an ice cream that tastes of strawberry when they want an ice cream taste of strawberry. And I really am, you know, sort of quite fed up with it. Um, so I set myself a little bit of a challenge here. I thought, right, you know, I'm going to keep looking at this and I'm going to, um, I'm going to have a look at what it might look like. Right. Um, in fact, I haven't blogged for a year because all the stuff about... The only certified mediator belongs in a mental institution, that's what I think. So, very strong views about that. That doesn't mean to say I don't think high standards is a good idea but the certification aspect and the homogeneity doesn't appeal. But let's assume there's going to be regulation, right? Let's just say, oh, all right, can't fight anymore, can't put any more water up, uphill with a fork. We would, normally the process is that you go and look out what other people are doing, best practice. 
So you go and have a look and you say, well, okay, let's go and have a look at the SRA. And actually, quite recently, they've renewed their approach. Um, and they talk about outcomes-focused regulation, very sexy title. And effectively, it's a very well-tried and tested risk assessment model, which we used in the railway in 1999. And it worked really quite well. Except at that time, they were killing about 15 people a year on track work, right? No, not, never mind anybody else, but just the track workers who were doing the maintenance. And the risk assessment when um, developing a new model was actually part of the work that I did with them. And I'm happy to say that in the four years following the implementation of that, they were no deaths on the railway with track workers. There were three train crashes, if you remember. Um, and there were some very difficult things. And it was during that time as I was talking to people on the track in total confidential, and they were revealing to me things that would have got them into deep, deep poo, that I realised what it was that was motivating people to obey. And I came to the conclusion that people do not obey, they choose to comply. Um, and this is actually the core of, of, of my argument. So with the... SRA, they're using this risk model, and what you are, what they're proposing that you do is a process of assessing the risk. Now, if we sat down and we assess the risk in the way that they are suggesting that you do, we would probably, and I'm sorry, I'm very happy to share my illustrations with you at some point, you'd probably come to the conclusion that actually the risk, risk was very low and the impact was very low. So the impact of the probability multiplied together equals the risk. If you really look at what is at stake here, if you are practicing according to the way in which you are taught, which is you don't give advice and the party autonomy is absolutely sacrosanct. So you are guiding people. And I really do call you to really think about that because once we start moving away from that, then we're talking about, yes, maybe we do need to be regulated. But who are we protecting? I don't see any evidence. I don't see any research, nothing, that says that the people who use mediators want to know that they all look alike and they all come out of the same little tin. I don't see it. And what are the benefits and what are the risks of the exercise? We need to do that work, even if it's only to find out that I'm wrong. I don't mind, but I'd like to see the work done. I don't want finger in the air this has got to happen, and we're going to go with it. Who would make up the risk assessment committee? Now, who would you like to be deciding whether or not the way in which you operate, bearing in mind that the whole point of the mediation process is that it is flexible, that it is designed to suit the parties, and that it is not a one-size-fits-all. I'm having trouble with homogeneity and kind of universal global standards and the practice of application of really important skills. And then we've got to produce evidence about the effectiveness of the measures that could be taken. We have to make a case for doing these things. We have to consult and publish. We have to agree measures on risk and effective mitigation. How do we do that well, under the umbrella of confidentiality and without prejudice? How do we do that? Do we? Do we shoehorn open confidentiality and mediation? And who, how many of you have had a mediation where the person there has been in such a space that you could have done nothing right 
to please them or engage them or whatever. Or in fact that actually they were suffering from some kind of um, mental illness, actually. And, and maybe the skills of spotting that are quite important. Okay, so you agree a disciplinary procedure and sanctions, fines, one strike or more, expulsion. Quite serious stuff. So you don't want somebody who doesn't know the business, like Alan said, you know, having a look at this and making a, an ad hoc decision about whether or not there's a complaint to bear with. And the performance reports. Now, we then have to demonstrate value for money. Not only have we got to demonstrate, of course, but we've also got to demonstrate value for money. And to use the lovely government word, it has to be proportionate. So the evidence. Well, doctors' complaints are up about 23% in years. And what are the most of the complaints about? They're about lack of respect and poor communication skills. In terms of, and the figures are there, I, I'm happy to share them with you, but the number of claims, complaints that are brought and the number that are found to be um, upheld actually represent, or the regulator feels, that it's a culture of the willingness to complain. And we do have a context in which people <coughs> are encouraged to complain. They have their rights. I could do a whole presentation to you on the impact of the Human Rights Act on our culture and how we expect other people to fix things, but that's for another one. Let me think about transparency. That's one of the things, that one of the arguments for doing this. Well, I asked four regulators four questions in preparation for this uh, debate. I asked the SRA, the Bar Council, uh, the Institute of Chartered Accountants of England and Wales, and I asked the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators. And I asked them four questions. How many complaints against uh, arbitrators or whatever in the last five years? Of the number received, how many complaints were upheld? What is the cost of the organisation? And what is the cost of the full process? Quite simple questions. Nothing terribly rocket science about that. One replied. Just one. I will love to recount to you the conversation I had with the SRA helpline. Such fun. I wish I had recorded it for training purposes. <laughs> they recorded mine. But anyway, the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators have replied very openly, very helpful. I've got to rattle through this quickly, yes. 40 complaints received between January 2008 to date. Five complaints upheld. Two of these referred to repair review. One went to full disciplinary tribunal. Two cases the member decided not to renew. All other complaints dismissed. Cost. 60 to 70k to run the, the committee. Um, the equivalent of one full-time executive, not a frontline answer-the-phone person, an executive. Cost of tribunal, uncontested, varies, but example, £13,600. Contested, not, the, not predictable, but example, £30,000. Okay? And you're running a whole system for that. Proportionate, demonstrating value for money, right? Now, of the regulated sectors, we've got financial services, rail and law. They represent money, people and justice to me. And I'm just going to talk about one. The financial services, I know it, inside out. It, ha it has developed into a great big thing. And we are very happy to blame the bankers, the greedy bankers, for the financial <coughs> collapse. I'm afraid bankers have always been greedy. Talk to Shakespeare. Or talk to Jesus, even. Um, and that's not the issue. The issue here was government policy. 
It was the introduction of the idea that everybody should own their own home and that in doing so, that that would generate jobs in the construction market. That's condensing quite a hard argument into one. Right? So everybody was having this um, pushed at them. And because it was policy and because it was an intervention, the regulation of the financial services were reluctant to put the flag up and stop the things which they knew very well ahead of time that it was going to happen because it was politically and philosophically unappealing. As Kenneth Rogoff, not, not made off, this is Rogoff, he's a Harvard professor, he says, politicians and regulators have neither the courage nor the intellectual conviction needed to return a much cleaner, clearer and straightforward system. So there's actually a move away from the kind of standard regulation it gets burdensome. After the event, someone to blame. Self-regulation for me is what it's about, and it's not about a body setting up and regulating itself. It's about us, as mediators, regulating ourselves. The idea that 16 hours of CPD in a year is sufficient to keep us on our toes is horrible to me. 16, hour, 16 hours, of, of which 24 um, 25%, you know, is attending training session. So I think we've got to look to the, the standards start with actually the practitioner, and that calls for a different kind of regulation, I say. It calls for maybe some supervision, it maybe calls for, you know, a, 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 an environment in which you have compulsory um, conversations about your practice, or maybe even a spot kind of attendance at a mediation or so, but that's you know, sort of moving on a little bit. <coughs> but in neuroscience terms, and I'm really not fond of using this because it's been used really rather badly, but actually there is evidence out there that the strongest regulator of bad behaviour is the fear of humiliation, especially a fall in social status in the eyes of one's group. That suggests most people who are going to behave are going to behave, and those who don't have got something wrong with them and they're going to be bad anyway, right? Let's find a way of finding who those people might be. Government policy, according to The Economist, according to John Allison, who was the former CEO of BB&T, a big bank, government policy or other significant change in context distorts the natural correctional forces of a free market and risks creating a worse scenario. That if we are left to organically grow and develop that we will actually manage the risk much better than if somebody says we've got to do it like this. I'm sorry to be rattling on, but I, I want to introduce new thoughts and ideas, and hopefully I am. I think regulation will prevent the learning from mistakes, and I learned this on the tracks with those railway guys. They were scared to death to tell anybody something because of the fear of retribution. And I think it reduces continuous improvement because if you set the minimum for CPD, that's what people are going to do. The time for investigation and sanction may either render redundant or damage self-esteem, and that's not good for a continuing professional. Or it may actually take away the need for doing anything because you take their job away. I, don't, I think that's a big brick, actually, and needs a little bit more thought. 
But self-control is a strength, and it's right thought is mastery, and calmness is power. That's James Allen, as a man thinketh. And I think there is some work to be done. Thank you. I think there's some work to be done, a little bit of imaginative work to be done, about how we could actually take back the regulation to the mediator and not expect a body of who. Who would you like to judge you? Who would you like to say you're a good mediator or a bad mediator or you had a bad day that day? It's not quite the same thing as giving advice because we are really working with people to encourage them to self-determination or, or authority. I think that um, there is something I don't know if any of you have heard, finally, heard of somebody called a person de confiance. Um, there's two uh, ideas here. There's the person d'affaires, who is actually somebody who is an expert. And the person de confiance is somebody who trans transcends that expertise and develops a, a real um, strength of trust and rapport, etc., which is their main stock in trade. And for that, you need a sceptical view of human nature. And despite my views that I think we should self-regulate with some guidance, um, because I don't know that the customers actually want a homogeneous <coughs> one-size-fits-all, and the fact that the top of the list are doing a lot of the mediations and they are all characters may suggest that, if you would want to think of that. But the, 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 the argument today is it's time to re regulate. And I want you to think about, are you voting for it's going to happen anyway? And I really want to put you on the spot. Is it time to regulate? Do we know enough? Have we made the case that it's necessary? And if we haven't, we've got a lot of work to do. Thank you. Right, two very thought-provoking, stimulating uh, talks. I'm not going to uh, make any attempt to summarise them. I'm going to simply open it to the floor for comments. And this is your opportunity to ask questions or just make comments or criticise or praise, whatever you like. Who's going to start? Okay, one comment, one question. The question first. I'm not quite sure whether there is a difference between regulation and certification. If anybody could help me, that would be great. My comment, just to uh, finish off, is that what I'm hearing is that uh, the uh, way that the debate was framed may not be quite right. What I'm hearing is it's more to do with self-regulation than imposed regulation. Is that correct? So, firstly, regulation versus certification. Yeah. Well, well, I, I took it as regulation uh, primarily meaning that we could choose to regulate ourselves. And this is the time to do it. Um, so, it doesn't say outside regulation, it doesn't say self-regulation. So, um, I've interpreted it in the way that is favourable to my proposition, which is that I do believe in self-regulation. Uh, your answer, sorry, your question about certification and regulation, it seems to me that certification is one part of an overall concept of some form of regulation, which would include the training, uh, recognising the providers of mediation, some way of knowing whether someone is a mediator or not for this purpose, and having a, some kind of unified body that can speak for mediators. Uh, I don't at all agree, of course, that that <coughs> means that 
you're going to churn out every single mediator as being exactly the same, because that certainly doesn't happen in any other profession. Thank you. Amanda? Um, I, I understood the, 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 the title, and I took it as it's time now to regulate before something's imposed on us. Um, and, and my point is actually that the, the regulation that would be most beneficial to all, in my view, um, is a greater degree of self-regulation and working on the practice of being a mediator, which would do a better job of uh, mitigating the risk, because I don't believe that regulation per se has proved that it ever stops the bad. It, it only provides a mechanism for pointing the finger and punishing those who have committed the sin. You see, the danger is that, that because we're both mediators, we're struggling to find common ground here. <laughs> and I, I suspect that we're not actually quite as far apart as, as we seem to be, because self-regulation, I'd understood Amanda to be saying, was something that she didn't regard quite as horrific, as being quite as horrific as imposed regulation. And in that, I'm 100% with you. So maybe but do, I don't mean self-regulation, the profession putting a body in. Ah, I'm talking ah, about the mediator. Oh, me regulating myself. Me, yes. Oh, no, no, <laughs> then we are. No, we're still apart. Yes, good. Good, good. Still some work to do. <laughs> Self-discipline, is that... Uh... No, because whether we self-appoint self a body, um, I said the problems are still there, you know. And you tot up the costs of doing that... And you say, well, who's going to pay for it? So I think we need to be clear. When I say self-regulation, I mean we, as a body, uh, yeah. regulate ourselves. Yeah. And that does mean having some people who are there on some sort of committee. And if I've understood you correctly, you're saying self-regulation means you regulate you and I regulate me. Yes, but it's only part of the story because I didn't want to go into how that may be done. And I wouldn't like anybody to think that it was just sitting in, you know, a field somewhere, um, saying I'm regulating, I'm regulating. <laughs> Actually, it, it, my question was geared to, to the comment that was made, what do you mean by self-regulation? I understood it to mean, you know, we internally consider whether our practice is appropriate and ethical and competent, etc., as opposed to the body of mediators regulating as a self-profession in very much the way that lawyers used to um, do so. So that clarified it. But I think it's actually important to ask you how, uh, you said you didn't want to get into the whole self-regulation and how to do it, not sitting in a field, but how are you, how do you propose it be done? Okay, um, well I think that it's the self-regulation is actually devising a strategy by which you are able to extend your practice, make sure that you're going in the right direction, and have somebody that you regard well who will give you some, you know, pretty tough feedback. And that means devising a strategy whereby you've got, you know, you're, divide, you're, you're deciding a training program, you're deciding the kind of things that are going to help you with your practice, and you are choosing a mentor um, who will help with an element of supervision with, with you. Um, and that that in doing that, you know, that you will be extending your practice and you will be improving um, to a degree, which is probably more art. I I agree, more art 
Um, but these days we are helped enormously by the science. <coughs> we weren't in 1999 when I was first down a rabbit hole thinking about this. Um, but we do know the way professionals behave. We do understand that better now. And, um, and I think we should be looking at techniques um, and approaches which actually build on the, the substantial skills that we have in um, understanding you know, what is good behaviour and what is not. Because we are talking about behaviour. Behavior. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I can see the, the benefits of that sort of reflective practice. Um, how does the litigant in person in the county court, who doesn't have legal aid anymore, um, and has been told by the judge to go off and mediate, uh, know whether the person they're choosing to, to mediate their case has that sort of self-regulatory practice? Well, it doesn't preclude um, a decent training course, and it doesn't preclude being on a register so people know that somebody has just verified, uh, indeed, as is the case now, just simply verified that you, you, you have trained and you do have insurance, um, but otherwise, how else does anybody guarantee um, the performance of a mediator other than by judgment? <coughs> and I think that's an important part of the relationship between the mediator and those in the mediation, <coughs> that there is that initial choice and investment. Um, and it isn't just a, well, there you are, you've got 400 over there, you don't know whether that, that mediator there done anything for two years or three years. The fact that they are regulated, I don't think gives any comfort. It puts a veil, illusion, um, and I think that's more dangerous. Until there are more mediator, mediations. But if you're requiring a training course and insurance and some other things, perhaps, then isn't that regulation, and what we're really talking about is the quantum of regulation? Um, I take your point, but I'm, I, to me that's much more, just more of a register, and it's more manageable in terms of verification. Um, anything else, I just, I don't know how it's going to be done without it just being a tick box exercise. I'm very expensive at that. Do you have a question? Ian. Um, well, I think it was pretty much along, along the lines right. okay. of the last question. Uh, I mean, my observation would be that fundamentally I receive good regulation um, to be uh, giving that quality assurance and a mechanism for addressing complaints. I mean, I, I, I think the approach that Amanda's advocated is admirable, and the best mediators would do that, and that's probably why they are the best mediators, but without an element of Compulsion. There's an awful lot of practitioners who wouldn't abide by that reflective practice, and they're the ones that are more likely to be the subject of a complaint. And it's really for the public to know that there is a body that can address that complaint um, should they have it's public protection. Really, would be my view of seeing the purpose of also beginning to repeal and promotion. Whereas public protection could be the justification of having some sort of external supervision. But we yeah. haven't been protected. The public hasn't been protected by regulators. Well, you may, and you know, you may win the argument on a technicality because this may not be the time. 
uh, <laughs> I don't want to, to win the argument on a technicality, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> you know, maybe the time will come when there is a complaint, a serious complaint, and we don't have a mechanism in place that satisfactorily addresses it. Uh, I just wanted to make two points, but one is, Amanda, you said there's no evidence of um, what I would term detriment in terms of the users of mediation, but there is actually quite a lot of um, research on the experience of mediation and on uh, the uh, practice of mediation. There's a lot on, for instance, power in family mediation. Um, what mediators' role is, what sort of influence mediators have in terms of their practice on outcomes. There's quite a lot of evidence, and I think that one of the difficulties is it hasn't all been put together in the context of, of regulation in a way that might help us to understand what level of detriment or potential detriment we're talking about. So that was one point. And the other was to say that in, I mean, I think we're talking about commercial mediation primarily here, because in family and community mediation, there's a, quite a lot of work that was done in the mid and late 1990s uh, <coughs> on regulation. And that was a self-regulation model, but it was developed by the Legal Services Commission um, with um, a, an auditing role for the Legal Services Commission. So that remains in family mediation in terms of um, legal aid practice of family mediation. And that's a really solid body of work Um, I think my main point, sorry, yeah. on the on the on the um, uh, research was the I I really wanted to convey that it was the research that regulation actually does any good, mm -hmm. that there is some benefit, demonstrable benefit from it. Um, that that was my main point on that. Um, and on the other point about. Uh, you know the, the the models that people have used. Uh, that is the problem that I have, is to use the models that other people have used because I I think those are not relevant for the kind of people we are today. Not as relevant. And if we keep doing the same thing over and over, um, and expecting a different outcome, then Einstein says we're mad. Um, so I what I'm advocating is a different approach, which is not the there's no time for the, for the for, to, to explain that more. I'm very interested that you bring up family mediation because there is a compulsory element, isn't there? It's the first meeting. And because the court is imposing an obligation to at least do that first, take that first step, there is some degree of control, some degree of regulation. And we're seeing that there's a new county court trial scheme, which I think started on the 1st of October, but it only applies to people who've ticked the right box on their pre-action <coughs> form uh, to say that they're interested in mediation. And they're sent off to the county court mediation scheme, which is actually people who are directly, as I understand, employed by the county court. If we are going to try and encourage the judges, the <coughs> district judges, the county court generally, to really put more effort into sending people off to mediation, 
it seems to me we do need to be able to reassure them and for them to reassure the litigants that there is a proper professional organisation of mediators. And that's not just what I'm saying. I mean, I've spoken to a number of judges over the years, the last two or three years, and some of them, I won't exaggerate this, some of them have said that, uh, not all of them, to be fair, but some of them have said, yes, the real problem is there are still a lot of members of the judiciary who will not put their own real effort into mediation and, and promoting mediation while we remain in this kind of inchoate state of not being a proper profession, not properly regulated. Now that may or may not be true, but it has been said to me by at least two or three judges over the last few years. Yes. Um, I think that the, the problem with all golfers mediators is that, and, and we touched on it earlier on, was that people don't understand what mediation is, they haven't got confidence in mediation and the mediators. And so I think the question is, what do we need in order to like sell the product better? And that may be either side of the table in the form of regulation. I think we need to do something. The second point, as a, as a surveyor, I stood and watched surveyors waste thousands and thousands of pounds on trying to regulate for home condition reports. And the government decided that because they were all doing it as individuals, that they couldn't they couldn't do it as individuals and there's no one group that was standing up to be counted. Mm. They pulled it mm. and the money was completely wasted by these surveyors. Mm. And so what worries me is the government will at some point mm. come along and regulate mediation if they want to push mediation forward. Mm. And at that point <laughs> we haven't got our act together ourselves they will enforce some form of regulation upon it, which I don't, I don't think we'll like. And I think, again, I'll, I'll, I'll speak out, there are still lots and lots of mediators being trained. Lots of mediators. There are more than enough mediators out there, and how many of them are good and how many of them are bad, we don't know. But if we want to secure our profession for the future, we've got to take responsibility for it and make sure that we drive that forward and give the users the product that they want and the confidence in mediators and the profession that they want. What, what I'd be very interested to know, I don't know if anybody in the room can tell me, is actually how many accredited mediators there are in this country and how many mediations there are. Because I suspect that there's something like seven, eight, nine thousand mediations a year. And there are many more than that. Are there? Okay. Mm. Uh, but I was told yesterday by somebody that there were 10,000 accredited mediators in this country. Now, I mean, that sounds an extraordinary number to me, but I don't know if anyone here has actually got the information. I was told originally it was 7,000, but uh, it's a huge number. I think you've got a job to define accredited mediators. Well, we're talking about people who have been through the course and yes. five years ago and never done a mediation since have just gone carried on practicing the solicitor. Or, or what? Well, there you are. So we don't know. Jeremy. The reason I sat on the fence <coughs> at the beginning was because I suppose I felt that there was already an element of regulation, and this is why I find the question slightly confusing, um, because certainly those that know me know I work in the Ministry of Justice, and obviously what we were trying to do there was to work with the CMC to bring in a low level of you know, self-regulation effectively. I suppose we, we view the CM Civil Mediation Council Accreditation Scheme as, as low level regulation and whenever I've ever I've been in Europe and discussion like the EU mediation directive where it talks about member states encouraging quality of mediators. Our defences have been we work with the CMC and the CMC has introduced an accreditation scheme. 
And I felt that more, the more the missing point in this is, should there be accreditation or some sort of similar regulation for, for individual mediators rather than just for providers. I mean, the background is, you talk about the judges, I mean, the background to the whole thing goes back to the time of when the National Mediation Helpline was set up. It goes back to the time when there were individual court schemes and those individual court schemes worked with CEDA, ADR Group and other big names. And the thought was we need to open up the market. We needed to allow other mediators to get into that market to actually do court-based or court-endorsed mediation. So that's when we worked with the Civil Mediation Council to come up with the accreditation scheme. The accreditation scheme therefore extended to, to what it is today. <coughs> and I don't think the government is likely to be calling for regulation, certainly any time soon. I mean, the consultation last year basically did ask the question about what we, what we, what potentially could happen. And really, the response from government, the response from ministers at the time was, you know, the government needs to continue to work with a body like the CMC to strengthen the criteria. And it doesn't rule out the fact there could be individual accreditation, whatever one might call it, for, for individual mediators. But over time, the idea would be to strengthen it. Maybe it's set at too low a level. Maybe there's more one could do within those criteria to boost them up so there's more confidence. But I, but I didn't get the impression working in the Ministry of Justice that there were lots of judges going around the place saying these standards are too low, we don't trust mediators. Yeah. It's just judges who are pro-mediation and judges who are still, still some judges aren't really, I wouldn't say they're anti-mediation, but they're not pro-mediation. Yeah, I don't think there are many judges yeah. out there saying, I am against mediation, but they're not doing a lot to really encourage mediation. Um, but, but I mean, I'm, I suppose therefore my view would be, continue to work with bodies like the CMC, but, and, and see that the criteria strengthened, and, and hopefully to bring in something similar for individual mediators. Thank you. Um, Sorry, and then you. There's a point about protecting the public using mediation and promoting mediation and the need for regulation in that respect. In, in the pure commercial context, one should not expect that the commercial parties need to be protected when it comes to consumers or family uh, mediation. And I'm I want to try possibly something which is anathema in this group, the parallel to arbitration. In arbitration, arbitrators are even less regulated than mediators. There's no accreditation process. If one looks at the Charter Institute, for example, the biggest names in the world are not members of the Charter Institute. Still, arbitration is growing, and in this country, at least in the current budget and in the previous budget, the government very clearly says that um, arbitration makes a substantial contribution to the UK economy. And they feel that any regulation, especially from the European Union, will be detrimental. So I wonder why mediation will be, has to be, or mediators have to be regulated, at least in commercial context. It seems to be counter-cyclical to the trend generally. Well, well, thank you for that, because I, you know, that's the, one of the things that Alan said um, was, you know, that, I'll paraphrase Alan, if I'm not doing it in the right balance, I'm sure you'll kick me on the shins. Um, but, the, you know, the, the definition of a, pro well, a profession wasn't a profession until it was regulated was, you know, pretty much what you said. I just don't buy into that at all. I just don't. And I, I promise you, I've really thought very hard about this, that um, for, for me, the, the heavy-handed regulation, right, which is less than what we've actually got at the moment, because we do have some kind of standards, um, 
Heavy-handed regulation, you know, is, is likely to be counterproductive in my view, strongly. And there is evidence to say that it is counterproductive in terms of, of, of standards. Um, and um, it's very difficult. I mean, I've sat on committees and tried to talk about mediator standards, and my goodness me, you know, um, we've been talking about this for a while now. I, you know, and we've talked about it last week. Uh, I remember having the same conversations in the rail industry about the definition of competence. It just went on and on and on and on and on. Nobody could agree what competence is. It's uh, fascinating to see that mediators are even less agreeable than the railway people were. We're still talking about regulation. David. Um, in mediation, you may have one complainant, but you've almost certainly got two or more par uh, parties clients. Um, so uh, how can you judge a complaint from a single party when you won't effectively have um, the, in uh, the input of a second or, or even further parties? Um, because um, the party that's happy with the result, assuming that there has been a, a settlement agreement, is probably not interested in being involved with any Well, that was one of the points I made. Is how do you, how do you treat that fairly? How do you, how do you undertake that in any kind of rigor? Um, sorry, Alan, did you want to say something on that? Yes, I, it seems to me that if there is someone who has a real, genuine complaint about the way that a mediator has behaved during the mediation and wants to, that complaint looked at by somebody independent, who better than a senior experienced mediator to look at it and say, well, on the face of it, I mean, they could sift it out. They could go through, probably judging <coughs> by the numbers that Amanda gave, um, a large majority of them will have no substance. Well, a, an experienced and able mediator who, not permanently employed by this new body, whatever it is, but ad hoc can be brought in, someone like Paul or whoever, uh, would look at it and say, well, no, actually, there's nothing here at all. Or, well, actually, um, I just want to ask this question. I'm not quite sure what happened here. Why did, why did the mediator do that? Or why did the me mediator not do that? Um, of course, I appreciate the problem of confidentiality, and I appreciate the problems of evidence. Um, but, you know, even <coughs> judges are subject to discipline, and complaints can be made about the way judges behave in court. Um, I don't think anyone should be, as it were, above the law. I mean, if, if a mediator has made a serious error or, or a misjudgment or a breach of their fundamental obligation, uh, which has caused a, a problem, um, then there should be some sort of way of redressing that. And at the moment, um, if you've just gone to a mediator who was um, not part of a an organisation which, which supplies mediators, but you know, if you'd come to me as me, okay, you appointed me, not through the ADR group or SEED or anybody else, but just because you knew me and you thought I'd be a good mediator, and I was very lax and very lazy and disclosed a crucial piece of information, which was very, very prejudicial, which you told me in those categorical terms must be kept confidential. Now, that's something which... I think someone would have a legitimate reason to complain about. And if I have done that, I should face the consequences. Which would be? 
Ah, well, you know, I haven't devised. <laughs> I haven't devised a code of conduct. I haven't devised uh, an ethical program because it seems to me that we're talking in general terms here. We're talking about whether, as a concept, we are now in, at a state where we should be considering some form of, and I would put in the word self, but I now know it's ambiguous, self-regulation. Um, when it comes to it, if we agree that in principle, then it seems to me there's enough experience and wisdom in the community of mediators to, to devise something that makes sense. And I'd rather we did it than the government or someone else. But I, 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 I'm with Jeremy on this. I don't believe that the government's going to come and, and slap that in any time soon until there is a very, very substantial uptake, really significant uptake in, in mediation. Ah, but you see it's chicken and egg. There'll be an uptake in mediation. No, and I, so that's one point I really do want to address. The idea that an upscaled version of regulation would increase... The uptake of mediation, I just don't get that. Not the regulation, but by having a, a body which actually can genuinely speak, not just the CMC, which you can either be a member of or not, but a body that has the authority to speak on behalf of the mediation community and is properly funded, it's going to cost money. I mean, I recognise that. We're all going to have to pay for this. But we'll go out there and actually promote mediation as mediation. That's not a regulator's job, okay. Well. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you that I think um, as mediators, we are probably not seen as a profession. And personally, I don't see us as a profession yet. Um, I think we have a lot to do before we can be considered as such. And I think if we were considered in that way by the public at large, that they had more information about what we do and how we work, there would be a greater uptake. And I think part of that is regulation. And I agree with you, if we design it, then we get what we want. We get something we can work with. I too have been in a profession that was not regulated. I was a teacher for 25 years. The teaching unions put up the barriers against appraisal and about regulation. And what happened? The government came in and they imposed it. Nobody liked it. We can be creative. We, are, we don't just have experience and wisdom, we also have creativity. And that's something that we can do, is design a system that we can work with that benefits us as well as our clients. And I think that's really what is needed now to make us a profession, and we are seen as such. Thank you. Helen. Thank you to the speakers so far. It's great to hear the different ideas about this hot potato. My comment is about timing because the EU ADR directive, the proposals of which are going to be adopted at the end of this year with implementation in 2015, is going to oblige each member state to um, appoint a competent authority. And that competent authority, whoever it is, is going to have to annually report on the evaluation of the ADR providers that the users use um, and the adoption of the ODR, which is Online Dispute Resolution, mm -hmm. by um, the regulation six months later, is also going to have to do the same and feed into not a standardisation across Europe of standards or making it mandatory across the board or anything like that, 
but just to do that to give people some assurance that when they go through an out-of-court dispute resolution scheme, whatever it is, arbitration, mediation, whatever they choose, it's going to be worth doing. Yes, I, I think the proposers of this debate haven't actually thought through what it is they want to regulate or how they want to regulate it. And I don't think they've thought through the adverse consequences of doing it if they found something to regulate. And I can illustrate that perhaps with a couple of examples. Um, the first one, a few weeks ago, several newspapers reported that a couple <coughs> of companies had um, employed Tony Blair to mediate a dispute between them, allegedly for around about a million dollars of fee. Now, I don't, know whether it, I, I don't know whether it's exactly true, but let's just assume for the moment that it were true, because it could be. Um, regulation, as anybody understands regulation, would mean that unless Tony Blair was a trained accredited mediator, it would be illegal for two companies. Well, you frown at me, but I'll, I'll, I'll follow through the consequences in a moment. Regulation of, of, of professions means that it would be illegal for those companies to have appointed him um, to, to regulate, uh, to, to mediate. And, and at the opposite end of the scale, you get neighbours who have a squabble and they appoint a third person from the street to sit and mediate and try and help them through the dispute. Regulation would mean that it would be illegal for somebody to do that. Um, the alternative is that you don't mean that. You don't mean that it would be illegal for people to mediate, you just mean that you want a register of people who, if a member of the public wants to find a mediator and doesn't know which neighbour to contact, or doesn't know how to get in touch with Tony Blair, they can go to this register, and it will be a register of, it will be a register of people who have um, agreed a, self, a, a voluntary code, a, self, a voluntary code of conduct. That's not regulation. Anybody who wants to have a voluntary code of conduct can have one. We could all agree one this afternoon for this group. Any group can have one. Any firm can have one. Regulation, in any meaningful sense, the fear that you have that government would regulate, would be a rule that says you can't do it unless you're in this regulated group. And if, if you don't mean that, then you're not talking about regulation. And if you do mean that, you just haven't thought through the consequences, which are horrendous. Okay, I think you should answer that, then Robin, and then last year my son and my daughter, both adult, married and with children, had a bit of an argument about something. They asked me if I could help. Was I acting as a mediator? Of course I refused, because I couldn't be seen as being completely impartial between my son and my daughter. But, I mean, any time someone says, look, can you, can you come and sort out this problem, or can we just talk this over with you, informally or formally, of course that's not going to be illegal. Uh, and I don't think anybody could, could imagine that it would be. Um, what I mean, uh, I'm, I read this motion and I understood it to mean that the body of mediators is at the moment completely unregulated. There is no central body which has any authority or speaks on behalf of the body of mediators. And there is a perception, and we've heard it in the room, that it, it's something that's not quite yet a profession. And I think that if courts are going to send litigants out to find alternative dispute resolution through mediation, that is a very different thing from two people 
voluntarily deciding, oh, well, we know somebody who's, who's a nice chap, why don't we go and talk to him? It may be the rabbi, it may be the imam, it may be the local sheikh, it might be, I mean, it could be anybody. It could be a local elder, it could be a wise man, it could be the grandmother, it could be absolutely anybody. No, no one, in my perception, is going to make it illegal to say, grandma, you know, or, or two young kids, you know, he took the toy, no, I had it first. Mummy, who's right? Ah, we need a mediator. Hang on, we've got to go through. Of course not. Of course not. Robin, um, we're going to have um, three more questions. Robin, Sarah, and you, and then I'm afraid we're going to have to draw it to close. I think the first question that you always have to ask if you're considering regulation is, what for? And the question that each of the speakers has raised and hasn't answered is, we don't seem to have a list. And there's a clear desirability of having a list of mediators. There's no list of family mediators. There's no list of civil commercial mediators. There and is. there is a clear public legitimate expectation we really good to have a list. There is a list. Not a, not a, not a complete list. And not a reliable list. And the problem is, once you have a list, you have to establish, so what have you got to do to get on the list? And what do you have to do to get kicked off the list? And as soon as you added both of those on to the question of keeping a list, and keeping the list is a core function of any regulator, you've got regulation. Now, my view is it's pretty difficult to do something seriously wrong as a mediator, to be negligent as a mediator. Mm. Yes, you can breach confidentiality, mm. but it's pretty difficult mm. to be seriously negligent mm. as a mediator. Mm. And therefore, there's just this very low level of anxiety mm. that, oh, what if people go to somebody and they get it horribly wrong? And I've actually been vacillating in my view. I said, yes, of course, we could have regulation now. I'm reviewing that a bit because I think, well, maybe if two people who have a dispute want to choose their own mediator, they can. But there is a function that somebody should be saying, of course you can choose your own mediator, and they don't have to be on any list whatsoever. But I would suggest to you that you need to have a mediator who is trained, who is insured, who is supervised, um, who knows what he or she is doing and can demonstrate that he or she is competence assessed. And that's the big question. Do you want to have a huge apparatus that requires that or not? And if you do want to have a huge apparatus that requires that, what's it going to cost? And again, <coughs> we come back to Catch-22. Until you have the money to support a regulatory apparatus, can you seriously have one? Mm -hmm. I think it's a question that is all about timing. Okay. It's well, not about you. no regulation. It's Sorry. all about timing. Will you be happy to answer that in your five-minute conclusionary remarks, or would you like to respond to that? Oh, now? I sense you're being directive. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> Would you like to respond? To I will address that. To, to please you, Paul, I will address that in my five minutes. 
and then if I don't win, I'll blame you. <laughs> Make a complaint. Um, there, yes, Sarah. One of the things I think we need to do before we think about regulation is to think about evaluation. From our, do you want to keep it from our, what, One of the things I think we have to do before we think about whether to regulate is to think about how we evaluate the mediations that we do so that from our clients' perspective, which is how we should always be thinking about these things, how do they know that they are getting the services of a good mediator? And in order to do that, we have, I think, as a, as a profession or as a group of people who provide these services to start thinking about what it is, how people will evaluate what we do. It's confidential what happens in that room. Nobody knows. So actually, we have to start thinking quite hard about how we evaluate, how we differentiate the process from the personality of the mediator, how durable the outcome of mediation is. Now, to me, those are the important things that I would be wrestling with. And I think also, if we think about those, we'll also be much more inclusive in the way, if we are going to end up with regulation, we need to have many different kinds of mediators on those lists. We're not all lawyers, community mediators, mediators who operate in all sorts of different spheres. And I think before we go down that route, we need to start thinking about how we judge, how we come up with acceptable criteria for all of this we do. Okay, thank you. Last question, I'm afraid. I just wanted to remark that I'm very happy in the room that it seems to be almost unanimous that what we are not talking about is quality and that in the first instance mediation must have quality standard. So then the question is then to what extent do we regulate? Uh, and, the, and the answer to that actually is how large is the risk? So the analogy was made to, uh, to the train industry. I myself come from an energy industry. I'm a user, I'm not a mediator, although I have been trained as one for a week, because I'm a mediator, in my opinion, to be clear. Um, and the largest issue in the energy industry, as in the rail, is safety. And there has been a huge amount in the late 70s uh, trying to figure out what is the best way. People do not obey, they choose to comply. That's correct. But at a certain point, when the risk becomes so high, regulation is done for you. And so in the energy industry where we come from, or where I come from, uh, the BP Gulf of Mexico incident was a crescendo point where governments now say, enough, you will no longer regulate yourself in certain areas, you will be regulated. So the question for mediation is, what's the risk here? Um, and I don't think we understand quite what the risk is, because the risk, and there are many studies on this, is that we don't have mediations, that we continue with mediation and we continue with arbitration. And that, from a user standpoint, is an unacceptable uh, scenario. And that's why there are many users who do speak up and do say that there has to be mediation and it has to be regulated in some way. It must be quality. There must be lists, and it's not correct to say there are no lists, because the International Mediation Institute on a global scale has a list on a website that everybody can control. Um, and it's, uh, but it is something that the users are supporting. And to say, as a multinational, I've spent 10 years at Shell and I'm now at HESC, where we say, I do not want to go into a mediation and I'm not going to be able to convince my business clients to enter into a mediation um, if I don't know that the person that I use in Russia will have the same standard as in Africa, who will have the same standard as in India and the US, no matter if it's evaluative, facilitative, whatever type of mediation it is. So there is a demand from 
those of us who abuse media, to, to have some kind of feeling that there is a certificate that if we, even if we don't know the individual, which is what arbitration is about, the buddy system, I know so-and-so, so that one would be great for an arbitration. We don't want this for mediation anymore. We want to know that if you have a criteria, be it CMC, be it IMI, whatever, then we can trust that criteria, that even if we don't know the individual, we can trust the certification and regulation, and we will take the risk, we'll take the plunge, to do mediation because help. otherwise I can say you will not have get the promotion, you will not get the volume to increase the mediation any further than it is Good, thank you. Okay, um, if you'd like to sum up. Oh, do I go next? You go next, yes. yes. Um, but I think um, I enjoyed the comments and they are probably going to send me back down a rabbit hole again to, to, to think about them. Um, I think I'd like to leave you or leave the debate with the um, the concept of the you know the risk and, and what that actually is, and um, I think we we do need to think about what the damage might be really, and whether or not that is um, something that we feel is worth a great deal of effort and, and money to manage, or can it be managed in a different way. Um, I think it's very sad if this, the search for cross-standards, you know, that you feel... I, I understand that you might want to feel that if you have a mediator in France, they'll feel that you want, you're going to hire a mediator in Russia. But how many times do you do that that means that that needs to have this kind of burden of regulation on the entire profession. Um, I don't think that a profession is defined by, defined by its regulation. I think a profession is defined by its uh, structure, the education programs that are available, and the way in which people actually talk about it. And, and I think we're still pretty young, actually. And we're too young to be wearing shoes. Good, thank you. Hello. Okay. Um, I'm just going to pick up a couple of points that came up during the floor discussion, and then I'm going to try and pick up seven key arguments why we need to have some form of regulation. Two points I want to pick up are the, the question of money and timing uh, coming together. Of course, it will cost money to have any kind of re regulation, self-regulation in place. But I think there are enough of us, and I think a, a system could be devised whereby the, the burden on each of us would not be that great. I mean, as a solicitor, I know it costs a lot to, 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 to comply and to get the practicing certificate, etc. But that's a very heavy level of regulation because, of course, solicitors handle client money and there are an awful lot of us around, etc., etc. I think, bearing in mind that I'm told that if you just got out of insurance, professional indemnity insurance as a mediator, uh, it, it's a matter of 100 or 200 pounds apparently. I mean, I do it through the firm, so that's why I don't know exactly. But I gather it's not considered high risk. And I don't believe that the cost uh, is going to be that prohibitive at all to the, the body of mediators. And the second point I want to pick up is a very interesting comment from the gentleman from the Ministry of Justice. <coughs> 
because if I heard you correctly, you said that the government is not likely to call for regulation any time soon, but is looking to strengthen the criteria and to work with the CMC. Now, it seems to me that's almost exactly what I'm talking about. Strengthening the criteria, working with... Now, you said the CMC, because that's the body you know, that, that we, one thinks of. How much more effective would that be if there were a body, whether it's the CMC or not, which actually had the authority and actually represented all mediators? I mean, at the moment, it's voluntary. You can join the CMC or not. So it seems to me that... I mean, I welcome your absolute guarantee about the government's future mm. policy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't work for the government anymore, so, ah. it's, so it's worthless, my point. <laughs> How unlike other government guarantees. Um, <laughs> and I'm a Conservative. Um, so let me conclude by just very quickly giving you the seven key points in favour of regulation that uh, were published in October 2009 by a mediator called Diane Levin, and I'll just, they're very quick. One, regulation of the practice of mediation would assure the quality of mediation services by establishing best practice and setting standards of ethical conduct, increasing public confidence. Two, regulation would establish a mechanism for disciplining, rehabilitating or suspending from practice those whose conduct falls below a specified standard. Three, Regulation would enhance the professional standing of mediators and confer greater credibility on the profession. Four, regulation would enable mediators to market their services more effectively and to compete more nimbly in the marketplace. Five, regulation would establish standards not only for mediators but also for training and education of mediators. Six, Regulation would ensure that mediators possess professional liability insurance. Seven, regulation would result in a database, and we talked about lists, of practitioner contact information. Ladies and gentlemen, I would urge you to support the motion. Thank you. Right, well now it's crunch time, we're going to vote again. Um, the uh, motion which uh, has been um, chewed around a little bit, but remains, I'm afraid, the same. This House believes it's time to regulate. All those in favour? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. Twenty-one. Okay. All those uh, against the motion? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight. Can't count. It's nine. Nine, was it? We're not counting us. Right, I'll give you the benefit of that. All abstentions. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Thirteen abstentions. I declare the motion carried, twenty-one to nine, with thirteen abstentions. And how, how does that differ from the previous? Um, Twenty-four um, were for the motion, so um, Amanda's persuaded three. Um, More than three that. additional ones. Yeah. Um, there were um, six against, so. Uh, Alan has also uh, persuaded three. 
There were seven abstentions originally, and now there are 13. <laughs> I don't think I've persuaded anyone. I've lost three people. Sorry, you've lost three. I've lost three. I've lost three. I do Barbie Weekend. <laughs> oh, yes, some people have left. My people have left. Right, I'd like you to show your appreciation in the traditional way to the two excellent people.